Hey there, and welcome to Brave Business Triumphs in partnership with Next, a growth acceleration agency. In our customer and control world, it's critical to understand that your business and your brand need to be more connected than ever before. Check out each episode with host Doug Longenecker and his special guests as they check in with growth-minded leaders and their organizations, exploring why and how they strive to make their businesses more personal and their brands more human. Learn from their inspiring stories of uphill battles, perseverance, and what it takes to make the necessary bold moves with confidence. Get ready, because here we go. Hey, everyone. On today's episode of Brave Business Triumphs, we want to shine the light on what it really means to be brave in business. Our guest has spent the better part of her career pushing back on the system when it comes to advocating the issues of gender equality and empowerment in the workplace. Currently, she is the president of The Power of Professional Women. Through her guidance, passion, and tireless dedication, this Greater Philadelphia organization is all in on their commitment to develop the next generation of women leaders through education, mentorship, and purposeful connections. With that, it's my pleasure to welcome Lindsay Johnston to the podcast. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Doug. How are you today? I'm doing really, really well. It's just nice to uh, be getting into the spring weather and spring mode of, of everything. So uh, today it's a blue sky shining here on the, on the East Coast or Mid-Atlantic, so it's, it's fantastic. Terrific. I'm ready for it. Yeah, me, me too. Um, I just want to say I'm really glad you could join us today. I mean, I first learned about the power of professional women by way of a mutual contact uh, of ours and uh, a power member, Judy Arnold. And since learning more about how you and the organization work to educate, mentor, and create forums for purposeful and meaningful connections, uh, you know, I just really couldn't wait to arrange time for us to chat. Great. I'm so thrilled because, you know, there's nothing I like to talk about more than power. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, a, maybe it's a dynamic my organization and you should be excited to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, um, but, you know, starting out um, and from your professional standpoint, you, your career prior to, you know, the mo movement you've started with power uh, is very impressive from your work with Verizon, Exelon, PJM, Interconnection, Comcast, Autotrader.com, SCTE, and even your own consultancy. In those positions and through those experiences, you must have been um, seen quite an evolution um, over that time in terms of women in the workplace in regards to perceptions, aspirations, uh, you know, you name it. I absolutely have seen an enormous evolution, not quite as quickly as I would have hoped. And I think some of the other women of my generation feel that way that we, I think we hoped that when our daughters were professionals, it would be a little further along than it is, but it's definitely like night and day compared to what I faced when I first became, um, you know, an associate in a big law firm where there were no other women. I was the first. So it was uh, very daunting. What were one of the, what was one of the more startling revelations in, in the earlier parts of your career? Wow. So uh, I think that just the interview process alone was a startling uh, experience because I would go from from a first interview in, for a job to a second interview. And one of the partners said to me, well, he said, uh, I, I, I see you're here and I see you're a good looking woman. So why else should we consider you? Uh, you know, what other attributes do you have that we should consider that make you worthy of this job, basically, was what he was saying. So 
you know, at that point you have a choice to uh, get annoyed and walk out and, or say something challenging or smile and move on. And, you mm -hmm. know, my attitude at that point was smile and move on um, and prove your worth. And so that was kind of the reality that I had to face was that every time I came up for something, I was usually a first. And so it was really important to me to prove that women could do a great job. Yeah. Um, was that, was that really kind of the, the defining moment or was there other, some other, some other catalyst, um, that, uh, really made you think, wow, this is, this is, um, an environment where I really need to start owning, uh, my own career. I know we, we talked about owning your career, but mm -hmm. was, was that the, 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 the point where it crystallized for you or was there some other point in time where you said, wow, this is, this is more than just having three choices. Like you just uh, illustrated, we, we've got to, you know, take the bull by the horns, so to speak. Yes, there was another uh, defining moment. So I worked for a very large national law firm. I think it's, it's to, to today, it is one of the largest. Um, and what I observed around me was that I was the only woman uh, that most of the men, um, or many of the men had very dysfunctional family lives, like many were getting divorced, a lot of the others that weren't getting divorced, you know, really didn't get to see their children much uh, because they worked unbelievable hours. And, and observing that, you know, I said to myself, I said, this, this life doesn't look like um, it's going to allow me space to have a family. I wasn't married at the time, but mm. I certainly had that as part of my life plan. Um, and um, so I decided then that I needed to start looking for another career in law that had a little more balance to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that was really, I think, the first time that I realized that I really needed to take my own career and what how work matched up with my life uh, and move on to do something else. I mean, that sounds just very pioneering for the for the time. I would think. You know what? I didn't think that it was at the time, um, but but now that I reflect back on it, I realized that it was. Um, I, you know, I often speak with young women and talk about being very deliberate in your career choices um, and your career path. And I didn't really think that I had done that uh, myself, which is one of the reasons I always talk about it. But I, in reflecting back on my career uh, in the last couple of years, I realized that there were many points along the way where I made some very deliberate career choices based on what I wanted my life to look like. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was, was more, there a, more pioneering than I thought. Yeah. Was, was there a peer group in, involved or that was just kind of you on your own? Yeah. That's the thing that was so difficult at that time. And really one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about power is there really was no one, no one else um, that I could look to that had been through this and that I could talk to. I had, peers, obviously, who were going through it at the same time I was, mm -hmm. but we had no one to go to for advice about this. You know, the class before me had like, in law school, had like five women in it. My class was more evenly balanced, but that meant we all went through it together, as opposed to having someone that we could look to and ask advice of. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it seems like it's been a, a pretty... I'll say a pretty good progression and noticeable progression is probably the better thing to, to, to say. Uh, but as a quick follow-up, 
uh, an important part of power is empowerment and encouragement of women to aspire uh, and to attain positions of leadership in organizations. What do you view, view as key hurdles that still remain in those areas? You know, I, when, when I thought about this question, it was really hard for me to, to really, I would say, pinpoint a couple of things. And so a couple of the ones I'm going to say are more cultural um, than they are really job related. So I think culturally, sometimes women get in their own way. Uh, because we want to really be great mothers and great wives and have great houses. You know, we still, we still have that. Some of us have that perfection about some of those things. And so we're not too good at sharing or asking our partners to really share in some of those responsibilities. So women really carry three or four jobs many times. And in some cases that's self-imposed, in some cases that's cultural because that's what culture has imposed upon us and culture hasn't asked men or partners, I should say, to be more generic, to step up and help um, as much in the household or with children. I mean, they still say men are babysitting for their children, which is, you know, every time I hear that, I wanna tear my hair out. But um, so I think that's one of the issues. I think the other issue is just assumptions that mm -hmm. people make about career women. Um, and that's, you know, some of the coaching that I've done of leaders and organizations I've been about some of the automatic assumptions that they make about uh, women who have children or have families and what they are and are not willing to do. So I think those are some of the others. And I think the whole childcare situation uh, in the United States is a, is a real barrier. And we saw a lot of that during the pandemic when children couldn't go to school or they couldn't go to daycare. Yeah, it, it forces a lot of, I'll say, difficult choices for, for people and, and families. It does. It, it forces very difficult choices. It puts a lot of additional stress on women. Um, and sometimes they think they have to make a choice as opposed to continuing to try to find balance. So it makes it more difficult because instead of just focusing on being a professional and being great at work, you're at the same time worrying about, you know, how am I going to take care of my kids? You know, especially from working from home, you've got the kids right there asking for mommy. So it makes it yeah. difficult. Well, it, it, it's, um, I'll say a, sh a shame, but in, in, it seems in so many different aspects of our lives now, there's all these just binary choices. So yeah. uh, in this example, you have to have a career um, and you're choosing career over being, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, motherhood. And that just doesn't, equate for so many people anymore but it yeah seems it, like the, it does. the support systems are slower in catching up to that mindset you just put it very nicely the support systems are have been slower or they're not supported um, in other ways that they are in other countries that um, make a support system easier you know I think in the old days the grandmother was there and could take care of the kids or you know, you had extended family and that just doesn't exist much anymore, or the grandmothers are still working themselves. Um, so they're not necessarily available, you know, to help out or the grandfathers. So it, I think it's just a, it's a, it's a societal issue that we're eventually, I, I see a lot of progress in that area because mm -hmm. I know so many women who, and so many men who have really stepped up to help their partners so it, it, it's not as bad as it used to be. It's certainly better. And I can only hope that of my 
children's generation and my grandchildren's generation, it will get even better. Yeah. Um, likewise, as as a, a father of two two high school daughters uh, preparing to go to school and beyond, um, mm-hmm. looking to to beyond hoping that those things get get better. Yeah. Um, well, and that's and that's the incentive for a lot of men to collaborate is their fathers, and they see these bright, intelligent daughters, and they want them to be able to do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. and have choices to make and not be limited. And so those are the men in many cases, when you talk to real advocates for women um, who are helping change things because they support that for their daughters. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was a, a, it's been a galvanizing moment and experience for, for me. Um, yeah. So just hopefully we, you know, there's more we can do to continue that, that evolu- evolution. Uh, just a little earlier, we were talking about kind of societal stereotypes and from an employment standpoint or career standpoint, uh, potential employers and hiring managers, they view gaps in employment um, differently. I think it's starting to change somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what what types of advice and counsel does power offer their members about career journeys and how most, if not all, are not linear anymore? Uh, and, and the fact that that's that should be okay or considered okay by employers. Yeah. So we've done a we do a series called Career Conversations, which is usually a senior woman leader interviewed by an emerging woman leader, uh, really to talk about their career journey, lessons learned, um, defining moments in their career, etc. And one of the reasons we do this is because once you've had a, a pretty extensive career, you realize that there is no clear linear path then in a lot of cases you take side steps one way or the other sometimes you take a side step because you realize there's a skill set that you need to really to be able to get to a place that you want to get to um, and in other cases it's because of some of the issues we discussed earlier where you're really trying to balance many different roles in your life Mm -hmm. Um, And you need to just say, you know what, I'm just going to have to stay where I am in this spot for a little while. I can't take on additional responsibility or additional projects. Or you say, you know, there's more and more important things in my life right now than this job. I, you know, I have a a parent who is is sick or dying. I have Mm -hmm. children that need my care, etc. And so as a result, we try to have those conversations. And we've had a number of very senior women, Eileen McDonald from Penn Mutual, Penn Mutual for example, um, and others that have talked about the fact that they took a step away for a while. Uh, in her case, she had a father who was diagnosed with cancer and she wanted to spend his last you know, months, year with him mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to work. Um, And then after that, she realized how important her family was, and she decided to adopt a child. And so she stayed out of the workforce a little longer uh, when that child was an infant. Um, And there were other other examples of women um, who have done that and ended up having very successful careers. But, you know, what we what we talk about is if you do have to take a step away, one of the things you want to do is be constantly thinking about you know, when I come back in, 
how do I want to make sure that I'm preparing myself to come back in? Yes. And so she talked a lot about continuing to have connections with people in her field, continuing to network with those people, to um, doing other things. Like I know a woman I know who stepped away. She got very involved in her local school board, which continued to demonstrate her leadership and hone her political and leadership skills. So I, I think that if you want to take a step away, you just have to think about what are some other things you can do to demonstrate to employers um, that you have continued your journey in learning uh, one way or another, and you have to position it that way on your resume. Yes. And, and, and part and parcel of that is probably keeping up with technology to a certain degree. And technology, trends in your industry. All of those things. I know during one of the times where I was um, laid off and, and of course, you know, buying and selling of businesses or merging and, and downsizing are all reality now. Yes. So it's something that we all face. And I think I've faced that three different times. And uh, one of the pieces of advice I got from uh, someone who had been down that journey once, you know, she said, well, I just I pr- try to every week do at least one seminar you know, that's mm-hmm. related to my field and, you know, be active in the seminar and just make sure I'm really keeping up with trends. So that's another way you can also keep up and talk about what you've been doing in your time off. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, and I really just enjoyed um, how you, you pointed out some of the, the challenges later at, within people's career and their career journeys. So, so often we're, we're focused on uh, younger people just entering the workforce or with a few, you know, few years experience and um, being, you know, experiencing anxiety about either not, not knowing uh, that this is for them or what they want to do or not advancing quickly enough and, and those sort of things. So I really appreciate hearing those, those different challenges further um, in, in someone's journey. Yeah. And I think you, you have to always prepare yourself today, unfortunately, you have to prepare yourself for the fact that you may have some unpleasant surprises like that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I always talk about diversify your skill set, um, because it gives you the opportunity to go from one thing to another thing. If the one thing is, you know, foreclosed from you, you can move to the other. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there was a place in time for specializing, but that's, uh, you, you're right to, to uh, play defense and, and guard against all the different things, you know, that can, can happen uh, with, with companies these days and the implication of, of our, our careers and our jobs, you really got to be able to make sure you can, you're ready to pivot at a moment's notice. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I moved from being a lawyer over to an HR executive when I'm offered the opportunity, I really struggled with it because I had trained to be a lawyer. I loved being a lawyer. It wasn't that I didn't like it. Um, but at the end of the day, my thought was that I could gain another skill set, another potential career path. And my theory was if I hated it, I could go back into the law and I would be a better lawyer because I would have stood, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. in the shoes of the client and I would have a better perspective as a lawyer. Yes, um, agreed. And I, th- I think, again, there's, there's an evolution uh, occurring with, with organizations and companies where they can start to appreciate the uh, crossover of skill sets in, and how exactly. they can be applied. Um, in talking about the, the, the career and the career counseling, 
Um, one of the things I want to touch base with, uh, um, I ask you about is really about the multi-generational workforces. Just people are staying in, in jobs longer um, for whatever reasons. And um, we've got just new people coming in all the time, especially when you look at the, the workforce now. Uh, it's, it's stretched or available workforce. It's stretched pretty, pretty thin. Um, so we've, we've got people of all different um, decades and, and ages um, working together. And that creates some very interesting opportunities for mentorship and even uh, um, reverse mentorship, which is something mm-hmm. that doesn't get talked about too much. But I didn't know if you could uh, add some light to that. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of that because I've been a mentor many times um, in uh, when I was at Comcast. Uh, the c- cable industry has a wonderful organization uh, that supports women's development and they had a mentoring program and I often volunteered to be a mentor and I honestly found that found that I got as much out of those mentoring relationships um, as I gave uh, mm-hmm. because they could keep me informed about things that the younger generation was interested in they could help me with technology issues uh, because I'm not a native, you know, digital native, uh, like many of them were. Um, and so I found it was very helpful to me in my career and as a leader, you know, to have mm-hmm. the, the availability of the insight of a different generation to really help me see things from a different perspective. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of reverse mentoring or just mentoring in general, but seeing it as a two-way street as opposed to a one-way. Yes, uh, I agree with you 100%. That is, that is critical to organizations to, in building out a, a culture, whether it's in person, in the office, or you know, kind of virtually where we've been for the last two, two and a half years. That, that kind of um, approach really tends to, to lend itself to uh, a tighter organization, a tighter group of people through a culture that is understanding and appreciates different viewpoints. I mean, Exactly. And that's why, you know, I, I think that some leaders view mentoring as a burden, um, as opposed to something where, you know, because they think what's in this for me, and, mm-hmm. and I believe there's a lot in it for the mentors. So that's why I'm a, I'm a big believer in it, whether it's a formal program, which I participated in, or an informal program, which I also participate in. So um, and, you know, power has mentoring circles or cohorts. Um, and I'm still in touch with a number of the mentees that I had through that, where I still talk to them That's frequently great. when they need, you know, when they have an issue and they need to talk it through with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a safe, I'm a safe Harbor there because I'm not in their company. Yes. I have, you know, no particular ax to grind. So I'm a good place. And a lot of the other power uh, permanent mentors serve the same purpose. So it, it's a great, it's a great way to keep yourself relevant too. Yeah. I, th- I think that's just a, it's just a wonderful aspect of power and, and the mm-hmm. benefits that the organization offers. Um, some of the other benefits that the organization offers is events. And I, I got to tell you, I've been looking at the, the, the schedule on, on uh, the website, power has a very robust <laughs> activity schedule. I mean, between various workshops the speaker series, it's ongoing, and other networking events. How has your team, um, organization, and members adapted to the work from home and social distancing, social distancing requirements 
um, and still maintain such a busy event calendar. I mean, that just seems um, incredibly uh, challenging. Well, it was when the first lockdown occurred because um, we we try to do about two events a month. Plus, we usually get some pop up events due to you know things that happen during the year. Uh, and so we had a very robust in-person schedule with some incredible speakers. And so when we first locked down, you know, I thought, oh, my God, we've got to come up with some value for our members and mm -hmm. our sponsors. We can't just shut down and do nothing. Um, you know, plus, like everybody else, I was locked in, yeah. in an apartment <laughs> and thinking, oh, my God, if I don't talk to some people, I'm going to go crazy here. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was very fortunate that we were able to quickly pivot uh, to a couple of virtual events because a couple of a couple of our board members uh, already had some virtual skills. Uh, and so they were able to help me very quickly add some value. And then, frankly, uh, we got so good at doing virtual events uh, that we started to coach some of the speakers who were supposed to be in-person speakers and had never done oh, a virtual yeah. event. And so we kind of twisted some of their arms and said, hey, look, you know, we don't know when this in-person thing is coming back. So let's, let's do a virtual and we'll coach you through this of how to present and how to make it an interactive program. Um, so you know, I was very lucky. I had some strong board members. I got a lot of uh, cooperation from some younger mm -hmm. uh, members who were willing to start to help us produce some of that. Um, and uh, we just got very lucky that uh, we acquired those skills and, and uh, were able to help others do that. So eventually it got to the point where you know, more and more of the speakers were comfortable with virtual presentations so it became less difficult to get them to do it and less preparation was required. Yeah, I, 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 I might have shared this with you before, but the, the experience with Zoom, first experience with Zoom that I had was in 2013 and our company was, was, say, was, was requiring us to use that instead of conference calls because they wanted to have it more, more personal, but they didn't, want to, um, they didn't want to spend the money for everyone to travel as much. So yeah. this would be more visual. The problem was no one, none of our clients really wanted to have a camera on or didn't have a camera on, you know, on the exactly. computer. So it really kind of just, it never really took off. And then it took the pandemic and now everyone was using zoom or some sort of, some sort of uh, uh, virtual and, and visual conference call. Exactly. And I think it's really pushed some of the other platforms um, to become more user-friendly as well. And to mm -hmm. include, more visibility because in the beginning zoom was the only one where you could have eight people i think uh on a screen yeah uh, the rest didn't have that capability and now i think most of them have that capability yeah i mean and it's crazy to think just in that short amount of time you know it's hard to imagine doing things any differently exactly well um i know one big event coming up is uh, for you and the organization is the power advocate awards and we're right in the middle of that that season right now it's a big event uh but would love if you could share a little bit more about this particular program because i know it's near and dear to your heart and the organization yeah so we we started uh the advocate award in 2019 i think it was our inaugural one and we really did it because a number of us on the board would not be where we were today if it were not for some really great male sponsors or mentors. 
um, because there were no women, as, as I've talked about earlier, mm -hmm. there were no women. So we were really reliant on men to really help us, you know, make some career decisions, uh, get some sponsorship to try new, new roles, et cetera. So we, we wanted to shine a light on the fact that there were some great men out there because this was also around the Me Too time frame when, you know, everybody was bashing men, et cetera. And so we said, you know, there's some good guys out there. So why don't we shine a light on the, the guys that are good? Um, and uh, we also had read some of the research uh, that a number of uh, men have done that shows that most men really would like to help, uh, but they don't really know what to do or they're afraid. You know, they're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong, yeah. the wrong thing. And so we thought if we had this award and then we had a, a, an event that really talked about uh, what those men did, kind of broke it down into specific things that they did, it would set a great example for other men to follow or for women to go to their male colleagues and say, here's a simple thing you can do that would really help, you know, advance or accelerate women's leadership in this organization. Um, and so that's why we started it. And we've had a tremendous response to it. I mean, we did get some backlash in the beginning about why are you honoring men? And I said, because men are 80% of the leadership in most corporations. And so if we're not collaborating with those 80% of the men to accelerate women's leadership, we're missing a wonderful opportunity to get it going and, and get it going faster. If all we're doing is talking about women helping us, you know, that's, they're not, there are not many of them at the top of the heap there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, um, that's an interesting point you just brought up in, in perspective. And um, it, it, it lends itself to the organization being a little more inclusive and having a, a broader view of and vision of what the organization is trying to achieve. So I, um, as, as, a, as being a male myself, I, I appreciate the, the inclusiveness of, of that, um, of the, the, the advocate award. But it is, it is always, there's, I've, I've been learning uh, myself and evolving that there's gaining a different perspective on, on things. And even just in, in language or written expression, it's, mm -hmm. it, it might be good to have someone else take a look at something and mm -hmm. say, is, does this make sense? Is, mm -hmm. is this right? Um, yeah. and, and that's uh, some of the, the learning curve. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what a lot of the, the, the men that, won the award that's a lot of what we heard from them is that you know they had daughters they had wives that they've seen that they had seen struggle you know they had this similar background similar career paths and yet they'd seen their wives really struggle to get the same types of advantages that they had or some of the men uh had attended some of the women's programs and and heard the perspective that the women faced some of the barriers that they faced and they had never thought about it from that perspective. And so mm -hmm. they became more interested in um, trying to make it easier and, and seeing things from their point of view. Similarly, you know, I think as women, we need to see more about it from the men's point of view and, and try to bridge that gap and build a better understanding and better collaboration and trust um, so that we can collaboratively you know, work toward accelerating and getting more women in leadership roles. Yeah, I think that's uh, a, a, a 
good approach and uh, you know collaboration in in my business uh, with with marketing and and advertising and, and communications is is always a good thing. Yeah, and I you know I honestly think most men you know have good intentions, and so what you have to do is say to them, you know, why are you making that assumption about that woman? Why don't you ask her if she's interested in that job? Mm -hmm. as opposed to assuming she's not because she just had a baby and that, you know, in some cases that was a real revolution, you know, to them, to revelation to them Mm -hmm. to think about, well, yeah. So what's the harm in my asking them how they feel about that? And if they're enthused, great. If they're not, you know, I, I would say, what do you have to lose except they say no. Yeah. Well, and it's going to take, it's going to, it's going to take a lot of work to continue to change attitudes, perceptions and, and mindsets. And, you know, going back to your, um, the, the course of your, your career, are there one or two experiences that really stand out in terms of overcoming challenges of change, either within the organization or with e- evolving individuals in terms of behaviors, uh, mindsets regarding women in the workplace? Yes, there are a couple of examples that I can give where there was a lot of change that took place. Um, and it, it, you know, was very striking the amount of change. So one example I had was when I was a lawyer uh, with um, Bell of Pennsylvania. This was before the whole, uh, you know, divestiture of AT and T, and I was uh, taking over an area of a very important uh, case. And the lawyer, the male lawyer who had been handling that, called the uh, expert witness that we used for that area of the case and said, you know, Lindsay Johnston is going to become your lawyer and I'm going to move on to this other area of the case instead. And he, and his office was next to mine and they were on the speakerphone. So I could hear this conversation. I wasn't in the office. Mm. Um, And, and the witness said, well, she's a hell of a good looking girl, but can she lawyer? (laughs) (laughs) And fortunately for me, the lawyer said, oh, you're going to love her. She's really good. She's excellent. You're going to be very happy. And I have to say that, you know, I mean, I heard that conversation. So I knew that I really had to, you know, do a really good job. Um, but that that gentleman became one of my strongest advocates and supporters um, after I did work with him because he felt I did such a fabulous job with him. So, you know, that was a big revelation to me that, you know, people can start off with that attitude. um, But when given a chance to work with somebody, you know, you really can demonstrate that you are worthy and you are more than just, you know, what they see on the outside. So, you know, that was helpful. That was a very positive experience um, in the tournament. I could agree. Sorry. This was an older gentleman. So he wasn't, you know, like my peer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a great experience because I, he then became much more open, you know, to working with other women as well. Well, it's so, great. You had an open, you had an open mindset, um, to, to that person as, as well. Cause it very, it could have very easily gone in a different direction where you, you know, you said, I'm, I'm not dealing with, with that, or I don't want to work with that, that type of person. Well, I wouldn't have been working with too many people in those days if I had had that attitude. Yeah. So, you know, True. my attitude True. was, you know, I'm going to go in there and prove to them that women are great and uh, they're going to love to work with women in the future. And and that really did prove prove out. Mm-hmm. Um, the other experience I had was in, in when I was in HR and I was 
working with a vice president to, to fill a, a vacancy, a very important vacancy um, that had to be, had to do with working in the field. And it was really a 24 by seven job, a leadership role, but it was a 24 seven where mm -hmm. you were on call if there were outages. And, and uh, the conversation was, well, I said, well, how about, you know, this individual, a woman um, who had, you know, very good background for taking on this role. And he said, well, she, she just had a baby. Um, she's not going to want some job that's, you know, 24 by seven. And I said to him, I said, you don't know what her attitude is about this. You don't know what the deal is that she has with her husband. For all you know, her husband's going to be the stay-at-home parent, and she's going to be the primary breadwinner, and this would be a great stepping stone for her. I said, right. so you really need to ask her and let her make that decision. I said, what do you have to lose? And he looked at me, and he goes, I hadn't even thought about it that way. And, of course, I already knew that her husband was going to be the stay-at-home dad mm -hmm. and that she was going to be the primary parent. I didn't know what her answer would be to a 24-by-7 job. But he did. He went and talked to her and she said, yes, I'd love that job. And, you know, he was like, wow, this was a great learning. And he has gone on to become a terrific advocate for women. Mm -hmm. um, and and because that was just and that wasn't the only experience. I've had conversations with some of my women colleagues at the time where he had a couple other light bulb moments. So um I think there, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to change assumptions and minds if you just do it in the right way. Yeah, I agree. And just through that that story, the the notion of empowerment kind of changed for me. I, I never really related it to that, but just just by giving someone the the choice of of accepting or or turning down an opportunity like that, that that's very seemed very empowering in the moment. Yeah, that's what we hope. Yeah, that's uh, well. We can hope to continue that 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 trend and, and keep moving that that forward. In um, in your creating and, and visualizing and, and launching the power of professional women, what is the uh, best or even favorite learning experience that you had in that whole process? Ooh. Mm. I mean, there's so many, it would be, it would, it's really hard to pinpoint one, but I, I, I really, I'll go back to the pivot that we had to make to virtual. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, it, when I look back on how drastically we had to change within the course of two months and that by, you know, get, getting, collaborating with some other board members who were willing to put their hand up and offer, you know, to do a little extra uh, to help us make that pivot. Um, and the positive reinforcement that we got from sponsors, it, that was a great learning opportunity in how to collaborate, how really you can, you can really get so much from a community of people or women Mm -hmm. uh, to help each other and move move on, and also just the capacity to change that quickly because necessity requires that. And it just it just took me back to some of the the principles of change management and how you know yeah. least one of those is the necessity or the you know the the moment where you don't have a choice to change, you have to change, and how quickly 
you can change when that's what you're faced with. So I would say that was a great learning opportunity right there. Yeah, well, that's, that, that's um, I love the way you phrased that with um, like a desire to change or the actual need where you have to change and you mm-hmm. realize how quickly that, that can happen. And in so many aspects of, of life, whether it's personal life, professional, or even just um, other, other organizations that we, we deal with that might be seem sluggish to change. If, if you, you know, you know, it can be done quickly. It's just, there's not necessarily the will or the, really the, the need to actually get it done. Yeah. You have to have that burning issue. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Lindsay, I got to tell you, we've, we've made it to the, the lightning round. If, if you're ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. All right. Let's go. Yeah. Five, five quick questions. Um, okay. Uh, but what is the last book you read or a book you're currently reading? The last book that I read was Billie Jean King's memoir. Um, oh, and it was fabulous. I, I thought it was going to be like a fluff read, but it, it really wasn't. It was just so much about how much she pioneered breaking through the ceiling for women's tennis and what she went through in the very beginning of her career um, until, you know, even currently some of the, the, things she's still advocating for change. Um, so I just thought it was fabulous. It was a, it was a great learning opportunity for me. And, and of course you learn a lot about the history of tennis, which I love tennis. So that was, that was a great one. Oh, good. It's a two, a twofer for you. Then. It was a twofer. Yeah. It was. Well, I, I gotta admit, I don't read that much, but I, anymore, but I, I did watch the Billie Jean King, um, HBO, um, special a couple of years ago which was fantastic it, it, mm-hmm. because I wasn't familiar with the, the entire um, story that she has with, with her career, but you're right. She has been advocating change since day one. Yeah. From the, the women's tennis league um, and, mm-hmm. and pay, pay equal, equal pay for, for women yeah. women's tennis league. So, I mean, it's, it's, it just started from there and just kept on going. Exactly. Exactly. She's amazing. <laughs> she truly is. Um, who was the last person you texted? Oh, my God, I have, to, I have to think. I do, I text so much. Yeah. I originally learned to text just so I could communicate with my children because yeah. they're not very good at answering the phone. So I found that texting, they would actually answer. Um, but I, th- I think it was a work text. I use work text. So I honestly, I can't remember. It have, if I could pick up my <laughs> phone and look at it, I could tell you. But I think it had to do with Jen Fleischer this morning about the advocate award and, and a question she had. Nice. Um, related to the phone, what's your favorite app? Instagram. Oh. Cause that way I, I keep up with what my daughter's doing both professionally and personally. So, cause she, she posts a lot. She's an, um, has a podcast and she's an influencer. So oh, nice. that's how I keep up with what she does. Yeah. Cause I'm imagine with that, that kind of career, you're constantly moving. Um, who was your favorite celebrity entrepreneur or business person? You know, I, I really can't pick somebody. Um, I would say if I had to pick one person, it would be somebody like, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Mm -hmm. um, because I just found, um, that there were so many things she did for women that even I growing up in that era didn't know about. I mean, that I'm just just terribly impressed with what she put up with, how she made her way. Um, and then the impact, the lasting impact that she's had on women. 
and our rights and responsibilities. Um, you know, I, I graduated um, like in the seventies from both college and law school. And I didn't realize that until 1978, a woman couldn't have her own credit card and without her father or husband signing off on it. And uh, wow, she I didn't realize she, that either. That's crazy. Yeah, she changed that with you know one of the cases that she took on. So she's she's like my hero. <laughs> I that's that's a, that, like again, it seems astounding that that was even a, a possibility, a, right? Yeah, right. I mean that's that is nuts. Um, what's the most recent trip you took? Hmm. Well, I think you know that I'm in Florida for the part of the season I've become a snowbird so that's my that's my most recent trip I'm I'm planning a trip to Hawaii with my family but awesome my most recent trip is here in Florida oh that'll be that'll be great a real great getaway mm-hmm. um singing is is uh you're based in in Philadelphia just a question I gotta ask what's your favorite place in Philly for a cheesesteak Delisandro's over oh the area. sorry that's that's my favorite place <laughs> <laughs> I've had some of the best cheesesteaks there. In fact, I went to a, a gala at a, 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 a at the Legacy, which is right near there. It's about tennis, mm-hmm. um, and we were. Went, it was a formal. It was a formal thing. And when we left there, we were so hungry because I think we missed out on the food somehow, probably in going to the auction. So we went in our formal attire and sat at the countertop there, <laughs> and had cheesesteaks. <laughs> Well, uh, my, my first job in, in an agency was in Philadelphia and it was my first, first day or first week, my boss, um, took me out for lunch and we went to Delisandro's, which was his favorite cheesesteak mm-hmm. place. And that, that has been my favorite. That's the gold standard for me to judge everything. It is. I think it's better than some of the other more famous ones. Yes. Yeah. Uh, totally agree. Well, uh, once again, Lindsay, I want to say thank you for joining us today. It's been really great to talk to you um, about uh, your, your vision and passion for, um, for women, uh, women in the workplace and the organization uh, power. It's making a huge difference in the Philadelphia area for women and for employers. Um, so just, uh, just really um, glad to have you on and to express some of the, the, the changes that have happened, but more so the changes that need to happen um, in terms of mindsets and perceptions. Well, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about power because it is my, it is my passion. You know, it's all about teaching the leadership skills to the next generation of leaders in the Philadelphia area. Yeah. Well, it's to tell you what, as things progress, love to have you back on as a follow-up and see what kind of um, advances have been made in in the next uh, six months or so. I'd love to come back and I'd love to talk about that. So anytime. Love to have you. I'm sure we can make that happen. All right, Doug, thanks so much. Yep, thank you.